0: All right. We've prayed. We've worshiped God. The soberness has been set. So let's open up God's word and hear from God. Proverbs, please, in chapter number 30. Proverbs, chapter 30. I contend, just to begin with, that you can tell a lot about somebody, you can learn a lot about somebody by simply listening to them pray. You can tell what they value, what they're burdened for, by getting the eavesdrop on, on how they pray or what they pray for. So, for instance, if you were to listen at my family table at dinner time when it's time to pray, and each one of our kids take a different day to pray, and by chance you were at our family table when my youngest, who's four years old, it's his turn to pray, you could, turn, you could learn a lot about my youngest son, Lincoln. Because when it's his turn to pray... He will typically pray, he doesn't know we know this, with one eye open, maybe like half kind of close looking at the table, and then he will properly look over the entire table and simply thank God for the things that he likes on the table and skips over everything he doesn't like. And so his prayer time goes a lot like this, God, thank you for the the chicken and the the macaroni and cheese and the bread and the butter and, and, and... And the water, water, um, amen. You know what he doesn't thank God for ever? Any vegetable that we put on the table. It just never gets thanked by God. It's It's his passive aggressive way of saying, Mom and Dad, I want you to know what I like to eat tonight. I'm putting my order in. What can you learn about Lincoln from listening to him pray? You can learn that his taste buds are a lot like his grandpa's taste buds. What might we learn? I'm allowed to do that. He does that about me. I know he does. (laughs) What might we learn about ourselves? By listening to our own prayers. What might we learn about each other? By hearing each other pray. I don't know most of you. So, I'm not picking on you. This is actually more about my life, or maybe just generally about all the churches I've been a part of. Then we take a step back and we just think about what we pray for and how we pray. And we conclude about ourselves, we might have to conclude that we very much value good health, jobs, provision. We do thank God a lot for food, so that must be important. During college, we value good grades about your relationships. Maybe the sober reality is when we take a step back and we think about our prayers and what we might learn about ourselves, we might learn that we are very me-focused and not God-focused simply by what we pray for. And the irony of it is is we're talking to God, (laughs) simply revealing how focused we are upon ourselves. Maybe even our lack of prayer Tells us even more about ourselves. In Proverbs 30, we get to listen to a guy pray. The guy's name is Ager. Ager is so obscure in the Bible, I'm not expecting you guys to know anything about Ager. In fact, other than this chapter, we don't know anything about Ager. But I'll contend, we can learn a lot about Ager simply by listening to Ager pray. So Proverbs 30, I'm going to read verses 7 through 9. Two things have I required of thee. Two things I'm asking of you, God. He is praying now. Deny me them not before I die. Verse 8 remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who's the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. That is an unusual prayer. I don't think I've I've heard people pray this way. In fact, if you read the prayer and you were engaged with it, you'd realize that that Edgar prays in a way that is exactly opposite what millions of millions of people pray about with God. He literally prays, God, I don't want you to make me rich. Like, God, 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 I, I don't want a full bank account. And God, I... I don't want whole excess amount of money, and I don't need my dream job, and God, while you're at it, don't get me a quarter of okay? I just, I don't want it, God, okay? Are you listening? That, that's, that's the exact opposite of what we've heard, and we may not sit down and say, God, okay, God, please, make me rich this week. But our prayers often show that we do desire, God, do this and this, and give me that, and give me that, and, and I want that over there, God. What can we learn about Agur? We can learn that Agur prays in a way that is so focused upon God because that his desire is that he would remain satisfied in God above all else. So very simply, when I come to chapel, I always try to boil this down to one little thing because I know you guys are onslaughted by wonderful truths. Pray to stay satisfied with God. Now, I read 7 and 9, but the prayer actually begins way back up in the beginning of the chapter. Verse number 1 starts, and we're, we're introduced to Agar. we don't know anything else about him, other than we find out his dad's name. And then, and then it mentions two guys he's speaking to, Ithiel, even unto Ithiel and Ukol, and we don't know those guys either. But then we get to verse number 2, and we find out that Agar is low. Now, there's actually part of verse number 1 that that those two names I mentioned, Ithiel and Ithiel and Ukol, might actually not be people. They might not be any names. It actually might be Eger saying how weary he is. Just in the phrasing of it. He, he might be saying, God, I'm weary. And if you didn't hear me, I, I'm, I'm really weary. And, and I, I, I'm worn out, God. And that, that would flow then if we get to verse number two, because verse number two, he said, and, and surely I am more brutish than any man. We don't use the word brutish enough in our vocabulary anymore. I am more stupid, bullish than any other man. And I have not the understanding of a man. Please, please don't take Proverbs 30, verse 2. that just says, I am more stupid than any other man, and I'm more, I don't have any understanding of a man. Please don't take Proverbs 32, write on a piece of paper, and then like, Pass it to your roommate and be like, hey, man, I've just been blessed reading the Bible. I think this verse is right where you're at, and it just might meet your needs, okay? So you might want to think about this being your life verse. It's just, it's so you, okay? I feel bad for verse number two. I don't think anybody's picked verse number two as their life verse. But it tells me where Agar's at. Agar's empty. Whether Verse one is what it is about. He, he is empty. God, I, I feel stupid right now. I don't even have understanding. God, I'm weary. I'm worn out. I'm empty, God. Now, we don't get to know why he's that way. Like, what caused him to get to this point? I mean, for all we know, Edgar might be a junior in college four days away from spring break after he just failed a test. And he's saying, God, I'm worn out. I'm just done let's start this thing right now. For all we know, Eger is just worn out. He feels stupid as he continues to fight sin and fail over and over again. God, I'm empty. Seems like everyone else is getting it, God. I don't have understanding. I'm missing something here, God. I'm worn out. Maybe he's just frustrated with everything else around him right now. I mean, he looks at the world around him, and I don't know what's going on during Agar's day, but something maybe is drawing him to say, God, I, I'm crying out because I, I've reached the end. This is frustrating, God. Whatever the reason, reaching the point of being low in our life will either drive us to pray to our God or despair in our life. Agar's at a crossroads here. We get where he's at. I mean, life takes us up and takes us down, and we have highs, and we have good days and bad days, and we get to those low moments, and in those low moments, we're at a crossroads, and Agur is too. Either he will now despair because of where he's at, or he will pray to God, and Agur is going to pray to God. Now, I'll contend he gets to pray to God because of who he views God to be. Verse 4 echoes a little bit like Job. Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if you can tell? He's just, he just throwing out the God questions. And he's saying, here's my God. He's glorious. He's powerful. And then he puts one more, one more ingredient into this recipe that leads to prayer. In verse number 5. As he testifies of his trust in God, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. I'll contend in those three verses. You find a recipe for prayer. Agur is humble. He is brought low. He has a high view of God. And he trusts God. You take any one of those three out of there and you will not pray. If in your pride you think you can handle the day, why bother praying to God? Because you have it under control. If you're brought low, but your God is small, why bother praying to that God? Because he can't do anything about what brought you low anyway. If you're low, you're humbled, and your God is big, but you don't trust that God to actually do what is good for you in his glory, why bother praying to that God? Because he may let you down. Unless I am humble before God in my life, unless I have a high view of God that my God is grand and he is powerful, and unless I can trust that God to do what is good and glorious, I will not pray. You realize that our lack of prayer isn't just a lack of a spiritual discipline. It is so much more a revelation of deep heart struggles about who we think we are and how we actually view our God. You may place the right answer on a test, a doctrine class, and survey, but our prayer shows us what we really believe about God. Agur has all three ingredients. He is low. He has a high God, and he can trust him. And so Agur prays. So we're back now to verse number seven that we already read, and he says, i got two things on my prayer list, God. Really, if I boil everything down, God, I want you to do two things before I die. Which already perks my curiosity, because I think if, if we said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm dying here, and before I die, God, I want some, some things done, our list wouldn't stop at two. Our list would just kind of keep on going. God, you're still listening, right? Because I'm about 27, and I think I can keep on going here. Here's Agar. Yeah, I got two things, God, and I'm really burdened for these two things. Verse 8. Remove far from me vanity or emptiness, falsehood, and lies. Why would he pray? Engaged enough to ask questions of the text here. Why would he pray, of all things, that God would take away lies, empty falsehoods out of his life? He doesn't give an answer for this one. He does give an answer in verse number nine for what he prays for in verse number eight. And I think in some way it, it helps us answer the question in verse number seven. I think Agur realizes that truth is essential in his pursuit of God and is the lies that he hears within his own heart and around him that fosters the discontentment with God and God's gifts. It is the lies that make him no longer be satisfied in God. So we praise God. Would you take the lies out of my life? We start our day. Before anyone talks to us, we already begin a conversation in our heads. I know we don't like to tell people we talk to, each other, about our, to ourselves, but we do. I mean, you guys start the conversation with yourself right away. The alarm clock goes off. And you start talking to yourself right away. I can have the snooze. It's no big deal. Like shower. I did that some other day. I can snooze. And we start that conversation with ourselves right away. And right away that time of conversation starts. We are already having a battle for truth within our lives. And sadly, so often we're telling ourselves lies instead of truths. I'm running late. So... I can cut something out really fast. I don't need to spend time with God right now. I, it won't hurt anything. It didn't hurt anything even yesterday. Besides, God doesn't want to hear from me anyway. And the lies start. You look yourself in the mirror, and the lies that your identity and your value is connected to your appearance begins. As you remember the sins of yesterday, you tell yourself the lies that victory over sin is impossible. Shortly echoed back by the response that you must be the only one who ever does what you do. And the lies continue. Or maybe your lies go down a different road. And, and the lies that you hear are, are lies that are doubt-filled, charged lies that God must have forgotten about you. After all you've done, God must not love you as much as he used to love you. As many lies as we tell ourselves, it's no wonder that Agur says, God, would you remove lies far from me? I need to base my life on truth. And that's just the conversation he's having with himself. That's what we talk about. God, would you remove the lies and the falsehoods far from me? It hinders my pursuit of you. But the lies that we have to battle and we fight are not just internally. We live in a culture today that there are lies all the way around us. I know in some ways you guys are in like a little Bible college bubble, okay? When I preach a sermon for my congregation, I talked about listening to the radio on your way to work. You, that's not your generation probably, so that illustration just falls flat. But we still hear Our culture speak their truth to us, and it chips away. It chips it away at our satisfaction and identity in God. I mean, just take something as as benign seemingly as opening your phone up and scrolling through your your, your social media accounts and seeing advertisements pop up, and we are told over and over again by our our world, that we deserve stuff. I deserve a lot, okay? Just listening to the radio and a few advertisements over the last couple of weeks, I've learned that I deserve a Dr. Pepper, okay? I don't even like Dr. Pepper, but I deserve one. Actually, if you like it, you can have the one I deserve, okay? Because I'm not going to use the one I deserve. Uh, LeBron James told me I deserve new Beats headphones. Okay, he didn't offer to pay for them for me, but I deserve them. I deserve a vacation um, the credit union told me I deserve the car that I want, okay? I think they deserve my business is what they're thinking, okay? We're told over and over again we, we deserve. That's a lie. I, I don't. I'm lied to what is valuable in life. I'm lied about what will satisfy me in this life. I'm lied by the society around me that that I shouldn't have to call this sin. It's what God made me. And every one of these lies chip away slowly and slowly upon our ability to be satisfied in our God and his good gifts. I don't know where Agur was at, but I hear his prayer and I can say there's value in praying for that. God, I see the danger that falsehood. I see the lies that I see in my own selves. I I see the danger of the falsehood all around me, God. And so I I pray, God, would you remove far from me falsehood? If I could just summarize verse verse number seven or eight, I'd say, Ager's prayer is, God, remove what would hinder my pursuit of you. And then verse number nine would be, and then verse number 8. And then God, don't give me anything that will derail my pursuit of you. One is God take out what might hinder my pursuit. God, don't bring in what might derail my pursuit of you. What can we learn about Agur already? Agur's sole focus is his pursuit upon God and remain satisfied in him. Verse number 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches. feed me with food that is convenient for me." So he mentions two things. He goes to both extremes: "God, I don't want to be po- poor." And we all say, all right, "Amen to that. That's a good prayer. In fact, we started our year at our church with this prayer, because we begin our, our year with a, a week of prayer, and I, I write a, a journal to help us pray throughout the year, And so I, I introduce the prayer with, with uh, the prayer week with this, this, an article on this, this, this verse. And one of my younger kids, they were reading the article in their journal, and they said, Dad, this prayer makes a lot of sense. Well, I should say, the first half of this prayer, Dad, makes a lot of sense. I said, what do you mean? Well, the first phrase, God, don't make me poor. I understand what he's saying there. And then Ager says, well, actually, also, then, God, don't make me rich. He sees danger on both sides. Now, don't miss the obvious here. Who does Agur know brings riches and poverty? It's God. They come from God, he's saying. God, you're the one who gives this gift over here, and you're the one that gives this over here. They both come from you, God. Now, that brings a question to my mind. If they're both from God, then in and of themselves, they are not wrong. Right? Right? So why would he pray that God would not give him something that in and of themselves is not wrong to be rich or to be poor? I mean, Job does both of them and does them well. He is rich beyond my comprehension and serves God and doesn't find any danger there. And he is poor and told to deny God and he still doesn't. He goes to both extremes that Agur is actually saying, God, don't give me those extremes. So in and of themselves, I can't say, I can look at somebody who's on both of those extremes and say, man, they must not be spiritual. But I believe Agur knows his heart. And he sees danger down both of these roads. he says it. Verse 9. Lest I be full and deny thee and say Who's the Lord? God, I, I see a real danger ahead if you make me rich. It would be too easy for me to have a moment where in my full life, with everything that I could want, I would actually forget you. Moses saw this danger. Deuteronomy 8, he's warning the children of Israel, and he, and he warns them, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply... That might not excite you. It excites them, okay? And your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. Then your hearts be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Here is the sad reality the blessings from God so easily reveal that our heart was never for God. Ager fears the hypothetical day that he could have so much that he could be full. That everything he wants is done. His Amazon wish list is empty. He has an easy life now. And then in the ease of his life, I'm not sure where they pictured vacation homes back in his day, but he's got his vacation home and he's got early retirement and, and he's got money to burn and he can kick back. And he asks the a question. Who, who is the Lord? And that is not a genuine question. That's a pride-filled arrogance. Who is the Lord? I don't need him. I got it covered. I'm good. The is just as much danger on the other side. Give me neither poverty. Verse 9. Lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Eager fears a day, that in my in my poverty of having nothing that I would I would have a temptation that I would reach out and take what is not mine in attempt to meet my, my, my needs, and in that moment I would show God to be empty, vain. What's between riches? and poverty. I, uh, about a year and a half ago, I I went on a diet for about a year or so. I lost about 40 pounds, Um, and I used a program to help me with the diet. Um, and, And the goal of the program, they wanted us to avoid two extremes in our foods. Now, of course, I knew right away that they wanted to avoid that Thanksgiving Day meal kind of extreme where like you've been at college for three months and you finally go home and you get home cooking and it is everything that you ever like and all your favorite foods. For Thanksgiving, for our family, we go to my my wife's side of the house down in Georgia and they have a wonderful tradition because they do a Thanksgiving breakfast with one side of their family, which is everything good about humanity, okay? It is biscuits and gravy and then sausage and everything and two kinds of bacon on the side, and then there's pancakes, and then there's donuts, and then there's waffles, and you're like, that's three carbs. I'm like, who cares, right? (laughs) Okay. Uh, This isn't for me, but they have grits, and then they usually have a bowl of fruit there on the side of the table right there, okay? And then you get done with that meal, and you go to the next meal three hours later, and you have your actual Thanksgiving meal, okay? So I I knew when you... (laughs) I knew when I started the diet program, that was one, they wanted to avoid the, I am so full that I am groaning as I get back in the car and I want to have another meal to go. But then what we often do in the diet is we, we swing the pendulum all the way over to the other side and we're like, well, I don't want to go there, so I'm going to live off of rice cakes that are styrofoam, okay, and kale smoothies. And I'm just going to do this for the rest of my life, okay? I will never taste sugar again. And you and then the other extreme is not healthy either because what happens is, okay, maybe you can, I can't. You cannot just eat rice cakes and kale smoothies, okay? Eventually you break down, and usually what you do when you break down is you just you binge. Actually, the program they call this don't get to the elephant stage, because it's just this rage stage. It's the stage where like, you see the freshman fifteen sneaking up on you, and your clothes that you arrived on campus are a little bit tighter. So you're like, "I'm dieting. I'm not going I'm just not gonna eat today, okay?" And that lasts till about I don't know, 4:30. I know you got great willpower, right? And then you and then you go to the dining hall, and you don't even bother with a bowl. You just turn left, and there's the cold cereal, and you take your he- face, and you put it underneath the cold cereal, and you just start turning the candle, and it's just falling in your mouth, and you don't care because you are starving. And then you kind of just shove a few people out of the way and you go to the pizza line and you start stacking up your plate. And you in in 20 minutes knock out enough calories for the month. They want us to keep between those two extremes and the word they used is the longer we can keep you satisfied, the more weight you'll lose. Hunger will drive you over here. You're so full, you've already done the damage. If you can just be satisfied. I think this is the heart of Ager's prayer. God, I could see over here my heart no longer being satisfied in you because in all the wealth that I would have that you would even give me, I'd forget you that you were the giver of all the gifts. And I'd love the gifts more than the giver of the gifts. But God, if if I'm over here, I know my heart too. And I think I wouldn't be trusting you and I wouldn't rely upon you. So God, don't give me this. Because I want to stay here and be satisfied with you. God, don't give me riches or poverty. God, give me neither perfect health or put me on my deathbed lest in my perfect health I forget you, I'm no longer dependent upon you. God, don't bring what might cause me to drift away from you and my comforts and my eases, but always don't br- but also don't bring into me what might shake my faith to my core and cause me to deny you and bring shame to you. God, would you keep me satisfied in who you are? You can tell a lot by a person by listening to them pray. Prayer for a guy we don't know, we just learned his heart. What we will learn about you if we listen to you to pray today? What's your desire? Let's pray. And so, God, we pray, and I don't can be presumptuous to pray what Edgar prays, But I would simply say, God, would you so work in our hearts to foster a love for you, to see your supreme worth, that you are the greatest treasure, so that we could desire to pray like Eger prays. That we would so trust you, that we could trust you to give what is good and wise. As we find our satisfaction in you. In Jesus' name we pray these things. and God's people say... Amen.